Well, good morning, Summit Bible Church. You know, just when you thought you were going to have a great hair day, the Fontana winds come through and mess everything up, huh? Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I just want to encourage you uh, formal members to come back this afternoon for the formal member meeting. It'll be a sweet time together, just an added encouragement. Uh, we're going to pray together and talk a little bit about where we're going as a church. I uh, also want to highlight for parents that uh, we have some resources in the back for you, for your children, some coloring utensils and papers and such. Utilize those. Feel free. I, I will not be offended if you get up in the middle of a service and grab some of those things for your kids. Totally fine. Totally fine. We're with you. We're all together in this as we uh, have this family service for the time being. So anyways, I, I know that uh, it's tough, but uh, I sympathize with you all because I'm there. We're there. So while we're, uh, we're back in the book of Ephesians, so would you open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4, please? We're going to continue looking at this great passage together, looking at what, it, what a healthy church looks like, signs of a healthy church. If you're taking notes and you want to write a title to the message, here it is. It's a mouthful, okay? A healthy church is zealously united in patient love. I know, a mouthful, it's a little on the nose, but I'll, I'll explain as we go on. A healthy church is zealously united in patient love, in patient love. Let's read the text together. What am I talking about here? Look at Ephesians 4, chap or, uh, chapter 4, verse 2, and we're going to continue where we left off. 2B, if you will. Starts this way. It says, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let me pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, we come to you, the Father of all, asking you to help us. Summit Bible Church. Help us together today as we gather united in Christ. I pray that we would live out that unity in our lives. You Help us, Lord, to be patient with each other, bearing with one another, and to maintain, to keep hold of the unity that we have by your Spirit. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Point number one this morning is... Patient love. Patient love. Look at 2B again. It says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Those two phrases, with patience and then bearing with one another, they're often linked together in the Bible. It's because they mean similar things. They're often linked together. Colossians 3 Verses 12 to 13 links them together. It's a good cross-reference for our text today. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then, 
and continues to say compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, and meekness. You remember those two characteristics from last week? And then, and patience, bearing with one another. You see they're connected there again. To be patient means to be long-suffering. The kind of patience that I'm talking about this morning is not you patiently waiting, you know, in the waiting room for somebody to, the nurse to call you in for your doctor's appointment. That's not the kind of patience I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about the kind of patience that's required of your children right now to wait patiently through this service until the end. The kind of patience that the scripture's talking about here is being able to suffer long. It's the kind of patience that you need to endure outside pressure or to endure attack. You know, it's the kind of patience that you need as a parent to withhold an emotional reaction when your kids keep pestering you with questions. Some of you with toddlers know this. Why? Why this? Why that? Why then? Why there? Why anywhere? It's the patience that you have to withhold an angry response or a fast response. That's, that's what's required of us, patience. To withhold, to endure outside pressure or attack. Now, this bearing with also has this idea of restraining. It could also be translated to endure or to hold out under pressure. I don't know if you've seen the videos, but... There's a new sport in Russia that's rising. This new sport is essentially a slapping contest. These big Russian men stand across from each other and there's a table between them and the whole competition is both of them slap each other until one of them concedes. This is a legitimate thing. It's recorded, broadcasted on ESPN. I'm just kidding. I don't know if it's on ESPN, but I've seen recordings of this. And essentially, it's just being hit over and over and over again, and the person that can endure the longest wins the competition. I think it's a good illustration of what bearing with one another might look like. It's just being willing to be attacked, even hurt, and enduring through that. And who are we to be patient toward or to bear with? Look at the text. One another. One another. Here is our first one another in the book of Ephesians. Remember, most of the New Testament commands, I said this last week, they are plural. And a lot of them are one another's. And so, in order for us to apply these commands, they must be applied in the context of one another. And who's the one another? It's primarily the local church. Paul's writing this epistle to a local church in Ephesus, and he's saying, with patience, bear with one another. Bear with the attacks and the hurts of others in the church, brothers and sisters in Christ. So with patience, bearing with one another, and we can't skip that last little phrase there, in love. In love. See, love is the motivation for patience. Love's the motivation for endurance. It's the engine that drives it. Love 
produces patience. See, without agape love, what's the point of being patient? Without love, what's the point of enduring one another? Why endure the attack? Why endure the nonsense? Why not just give up on people and move on? Why, why do I have to withstand or hold strong under attack? People are difficult, aren't they? Not just people in the church, but your spouses, your family, your neighbors. So why do I have to endure that? Why not just move on, push away, and whenever somebody hurts me, just go somewhere else in my life? Why not? Because of love. Because of love. Love drives the Christian to be patient, to bear with one another. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says, love is patient. Love is patient. Verse 7, love bears all things. Because of love, we endure all things. We know this is not the world's love. This is God's love. Love comes from God. Therefore, if we know and love God, then we also ought to love one another. 1 John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So love motivates us to be patient and to bear with one another. Listen, the greatest test of patient love will be when you are sinned against. When someone sins against you, hurts you, that's the test of patient love. Can I promise you something this morning? And I, I don't make promises lightly, but this is one I'm sure of. You will be sinned against in this life. People will hurt you. I'm not just talking physically, some maybe, but for sure, emotionally and spiritually. You'll be hurt in this life. People will hurt you. The world is filled with sinners, and, and the people gathered here together, just a few of them. There's a whole lot of them out there, and people will sin against you. They'll sin against you on, uh, in your drive. You know, drivers on the road will sin against you. Uh, bosses in the workplace will sin against you. Coworkers will sin against you. Neighbors, you know, your family, your family will sin against you. They'll hurt you with their words, even their attitudes, looks can even hurt. Parents, your sin, your, your sins, your kids will sin against you. Your kids will. Kids, your parents will sin against you. Nobody's perfect. Nobody's removed from sin. And spouses, you know this well, your spouse, as handsome as he is, as beautiful as she is, well, they'll sin against you too. People will hurt you. Why? Because we're all sinners. We're all sinners. And so there's no escaping the attacks of people, the hurts of people in this life. Can I promise you something further? This might be shocking to you. This might touch a chord with some of you because you've been through this experience, but if you spend enough time in the local church and interact with enough people, 
People in the church will hurt you too. Brothers and sisters in Christ will sin against you. This is the greatest test of patient love toward one another. The question for you this morning is how will you respond when someone sins against you? How are you going to respond? With patient love or something else? Often, patience and bearing with one another, the result is forgiveness. You, you must be able to forgive one another. If someone sins against you, then the result will always be, biblically, that you are to forgive them. You're to forgive them. Colossians 3.13, to continue the thought of bearing with one another, if one has a complaint against you or against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost also must forgive. Listen, the greatest test of patient love is when you're sinned against. The greatest display of patient love is forgiveness. Forgiveness. If you're looking for motivation to patiently love your children the way Christ has loved you. If you're looking for motivation to, to patiently love your coworkers, your spouse, even brothers and sisters in the church, look no further than the forgiveness of God. I want you to turn to a passage in Matthew chapter 18. Turn to Matthew chapter 18 and look at verses 21 to 35 with me. This is a great illustration of patient love and forgiveness. Matthew 18, 21, says this. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So abundantly more. And then Jesus tells this story of patient love and forgiveness. Verse 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now you have to understand this is an impossible number. One talent was 20 years wage in this time. So 20 times 10,000, that's a lot of money this guy owed this master. It's an impossible debt. It's absolutely impossible to pay off. There's no shot that this man was going to pay off this debt. Look at verse 25. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have what? Patience with me and I will pay you everything. I know I owe you. I know I owe you a lot. Have patience with me. Withhold the wrath that I deserve from my debt. 
And look at 27, remarkable. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Gone. Trillions and trillions of dollars that he owed in modern currency, done. You don't owe any more. Amazing. Amazing. The level of forgiveness here. But look at verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a hundred denarii was about three months of wage, okay? So, it's a good amount. Let's say, you know, in modern, fifteen to $20,000, okay? Hey, if you have fifteen to $20,000 of school debt, that's manageable. You could pay that off over time, right? That's not, that's a significant amount, but not outrageous. This man surely could have paid back his master this debt. So he found the man who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. Look at verse 28. Seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him the same prayer, have what? Patience with me and I will pay you. What does this master do? He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Wow. No forgiveness there. When the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Here's the principle, verse 35. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Do you come up short on patience? I'll be the first to admit I do. I am impatient. I am impatient. Is there an individual that you're thinking of specifically right now that you need to show patient love toward? Is there someone in your life that sinned against you and you still have not yet forgiven them? Heed the warning at the end of this parable. Look to a heavenly father who's forgiven you so much. How can you not forgive a brother and a sister? The debt that you owed God, immeasurable, an impossible amount. Count up the sins that you've committed against God. It's a bill, a receipt that you cannot pay, an invoice, sorry, that you cannot pay. You owed God so much, yet he forgave you. He was so patient with you. He bore with you. How much more should we, being forgiven so much, Be patient and bear with one another. There should be no excuse. 
There's no sin so great that someone's committed against us that we cannot still forgive them. Cancel the debt. This is the kind of love, this is the kind of patience, the bearing with one another that Paul is asking us to do. And it's all in love. 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Summit Bible Church, may we walk in patient love toward one another, able to forgive those who sin against us. Point number two, zealous unity. Zealous unity. Look at verse three. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is so important in a church. Unity. It's a dominant characteristic of the early church in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. They were united. This is a dominant command throughout the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 1.10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. 1 Peter 3.8, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Unity is so important in the local church. It's so important. In fact, how do you deal with someone who causes division and who sows discord? Well, the New Testament tells us to deal with them seriously. It's a serious attack on the church. Romans 16 says, watch out for these and avoid those who cause division. Titus 3.10 says, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Those are severe consequences for those who cause division in the church. That's how important unity is. That's how important unity is. Paul says, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Unity of the Spirit tells us that unity is of God It's a possessive genitive. It means it comes from the Holy Spirit and it's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. In other words, no Holy Spirit, no unity. The Holy Spirit is a significant agent of the church's unity. Unity is not something that men can create or conjure up. I think it's hilarious that worldly men use the brand of unity. And they want us to be unified, but not a biblical unity, an anti-biblical unity, a unity that is far separate from the Holy Spirit. We, we look for the unity of God. We look for the unity that comes from the Holy Spirit. And unity is just an outflow of Holy Spirit-filled and Holy Spirit-united people. Here's an implication. You want to help Summit Bible Church in unity? You want to help us get along? You individually walk by the Spirit. You as an individual walk by the Spirit, and if you bear the fruit of the Spirit, you will contribute to the unity of the body. Because what's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These kinds of people will be united with one another. 
and help foster and maintain unity. People don't produce unity without the Holy Spirit, but people do maintain unity with the Holy Spirit. Eager to maintain. This word for eager carries this idea of urgency. It means to make haste, move quickly. And the verb maintain, tereo, is to keep or to hold on to. A great illustration of this happened this morning. We had an easy up out front that tried to get away from us. Thanks for Ramona Stevens. She anchored that thing down. The wind was taken away. She grabbed it quickly, and other men came to help support it. And they were holding on to the easy up so it wouldn't go, right? Fontana, uh, you know, in Italian it means fountain, right? I think the city should have been named El Vento, or in Spanish, El Viento, which is wind, right? It's the windy city. I learned today it's the second windiest city in the country, apparently, by some article. We're just, we're just underneath Chicago. Come on. It's crazy. I remember one men's event uh, back in, in Marietta. We had a men's event out in a field, and we had these massive carports. They were bigger than an easy up. They were like 40 feet by 20 feet, these big poles that connected these carports. And a gust of wind came through and started to lift these carports off the ground. And I'm not kidding you. It seemed like 15 to 20 men were holding on to the poles of these tents so that they would not leave the ground. It's a good picture, a good illustration of what it means for us to maintain, hold on to unity. Unity can go so easily in a church. It just takes a gust of fleshly wind to pull it away. I mean, I've heard horror stories of of gossip leading to church splits. I've heard horror stories of just slander leading to a church split. Two members who could not reconcile and forgive each other, church split. It just takes one person, one influential, persuasive individual who doesn't agree with the doctrine of the church to gather followers, pull them away, and split the church. It's so easy to lose a spirit of unity in the church. And Paul exhorts us to make haste, hold on to unity by the power of the Spirit. Don't let it go. Don't give in to fleshly passions and impulses. Don't foster division. Don't stir it up or allow the wind to take it away. I want to encourage you, this is our responsibility as a church, our response to maintain unity. So, as a member of Summit Bible Church, if you sense disunity, discord, or a disagreement. It's your responsibility to make haste to go and approach that individual, right, in the way that God uh, commends in the scripture in Matthew 18, in private, personally, and to reconcile, to make amends, to foster unity. If you have offended someone, and you know you have, make haste, go to that person quickly, and ask for forgiveness. If someone has offended you, if someone has sinned against you, and I already promised you, you spend enough time in the church, people will sin against you. They will say something foolish. They will make a comment that hurts. They could even do worse. Listen, you have two responsibilities that lead to one conclusion, okay? You only have two options. If someone sins against you in the church, two options that lead to one conclusion. 
the one conclusion is forgiveness. You can't get away from forgiveness. Forgiveness, again, right, comes from the forgiveness we've been given in the Lord, but you have two options that get you there. Either one, Matthew 18, you confront the individual individually. Yeah, you don't tell people. You go to the person personally and say, hey, I was offended or I was hurt by this comment or what you did, and I just want to reconcile with you. I want to talk this out with you. That's option number one, okay? And you go through the steps of Matthew 18 uh, in that process. That's how it starts. Now, option number two, 1 Peter 4.8. You forgive them without even having to have the conversation. 1 Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sins. So if it's a small offense, an offense that you could easily get over, then you and your heart before God must forgive them. Must forgive them. If you can't do that without having a conversation with them, then you've got to go to them personally and have the conversation. But the end conclusion is the same. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. It must end in forgiveness. We've got to move quickly and grab onto those poles of unity in the church and not allow anything to take it away. At the very end here, we have this phrase in, in the end of verse 3, in the bond of peace. The Greek word for bond is the same word as shackles. Shackles or prison chains. We're, we're shackled to one another in the bonds that we have in Christ, in the bonds that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Romans 12, 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That means make every effort that you can to be at peace with every person. Now you might say, Morgan, I've tried. I've tried. I've reached out. I've sent text messages. I've made phone calls. And this person just won't talk to me. They won't reconcile. They won't make things right with me. I really want to with them, but they, they won't forgive me, and they're not budging. Okay, that's fine. So long as you, standing before the Lord, can say this, God, you know my heart. I've done everything I can to live at peace with all men. I've sought forgiveness. I've admitted my mistakes, and I've tried to reconcile, and now I'm leaving it up to you, Lord. I'm now I'm leaving it to you. I've done everything I can to live at peace with all. That should be our hearts with each other. May the love of Christ shackle us together with peace and may we hold on to unity so tightly, not let it go. Same word for bond is used in Colossians 3.14. Above all these, put on love, which binds, shackles everything together in perfect harmony. Remember, love drives, motivates patience. It motivates bearing with one another. Thirdly, in this passage, Paul gives us a basis of unity, a basis for unity. This is the reason that we can be united with each other. Look at verse four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. Write this down. The basis for our unity is divinity. More specifically, the Trinity. The basis for our unity together is divinity. More specifically, 
the Trinity. We're unified because God is unified. And we reflect his image that way. Deuteronomy 6.4, the great Shema, says this, Yahweh is our God, Yahweh is one. 1 Corinthians 8.6 says, yet for us there is one God. Yet here lies a divine mystery that we all hold on to. The one God exists eternally as three distinct persons. We believe in a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 19, each of these persons is listed individually. We baptize those disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. And we saw in Ephesians chapter 1, the divine trinity working together to accomplish our salvation. Do you remember that? The Father chose us and predestined us before the foundation of the world. The Son redeems us and reveals to us God's mysteries. The Spirit seals and guarantees us for heaven. This trinity that we worship is the basis of our unity. They are one, therefore we will be one. So get this, get this, we reflect God, Summit Bible Church, we reflect him when we are united to one another. We malign God when we are divisive and not unified together. We malign his name, we malign our witness. We ought to reflect our triune God through our unity together. Though we are all very different, though we have different uh, gifts and talents and backgrounds and cultures, we come together as one and we reflect the glory and character and unity of God. When the world looks at the church, again, filled with people of different ethnicities, languages, cultures, life experiences, gifts, shapes, colors, and interests, all united together, all able to put aside those differences and get along, all able to be patient, to endure, to bear with one another, united in one body, by one faith and one baptism, moving forward with the same hope, they see a little glimmer, a subtle reflection of the triune God himself. If this is the case, if this is our calling, then we ought to live in such a way that measures up. Remember the command in the first verse? Live in such a way, walk worthy of the calling. One of the ways that we do that is by being united together. Love patiently and zealously maintain unity. Some at Bible Church, we're all on the same team. We've got the same coach, our triune God. We have the same playbook, the word of God, the scriptures that we can turn to together. We have the same goal. That is one day to be with him in glory. And so don't fight, or don't you know, avoid each other, malign each other, slander each other, gossip against each other, hurt each other when we're all on the same team and we all have the same goal. Have you ever done a three-legged race? 
I used to love those when I was a kid. Three-legged race, you're bound to another individual and you tie the inside legs together. The only way a good three-legged, well, the only way it works is if you guys are united together, right? If you're running in the same direction, that's a start, and then moving at the same pace, helping one another along. You're only as fast as the slowest person between the two. Similarly, we ought to be bound together by peace, bound together in the love of Christ. We're running towards the same goal, and we need to help each other in our pursuit of that goal. Run together. So we ought to get along. We ought to pursue peace. We ought to be patient. We ought to bear with one another, even in our difficulties, because we're all going in the same direction. Listen, the opponent, the devil, would love to divide us. He would love for us to be fighting with each other because we're not accomplishing the mission together. We're not running in the same direction. Don't let him. Don't let your flesh Come out and bite at one another and hurt each other. Be zealous. Be quick to maintain unity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we will all, Lord willing, grow in our unity together as we pursue Christ. I just want to encourage you today, if there's someone that you need to forgive, a conversation that you need to have, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do that today. Display the love of Christ, the patience and forbearance of God, and make things right with that person. It could be a family member. It could be your spouse. It could be a person and an individual in the church. I encourage you to apply this passage and actually forgive. Make things right and maintain the unity that we have together in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a convicting uh, passage I know for me. Uh, Lord, I, I lose patience so quickly. God, with a short fuse. and God, I often forget how patient you are with me. Oh, how much I've sinned against you, Father, time and time again. And, and the patience you show towards me, you bore with me. You bore with me to the extent that you bore my sin on the cross. And you died and sacrificially loved me in a way that just is beyond anything anybody could do, Lord. And and in light of that great forgiveness, incredible forgiveness I have in you, Lord, I pray that you would help me to display patience and bear with others and forgive others. I pray that you'd help us all to do that today, Lord. Help us all to apply this text, apply this verse in our lives, and help us at Summit Bible Church maintain the unity that we have. We've been given by the Holy Spirit. Help us to keep it, to hold on tight to it, Lord, as we all pursue the same goal, the hope of heaven, and we help each other along the way. In Jesus' name, amen.